the Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to show 39 for April the 2nd, 2006. This is Treks in Sci-Fi, and this is Rico. And we're going to have a really good show this week for you. Got a TNG Star Trek episode to talk about and a few other good things. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned. Here we go. Why do you wish to anger me? Legends we will write. You are no Klingon! Okay, again, as usual, just want to welcome everyone to the program, to the podcast. This is Rico, and this is Treks in Sci-Fi. Yes, it's show 39, almost show 40, almost 40 shows for uh, this Star Trek and Sci-Fi podcast. I'd like to welcome everyone uh, back to the show if you've been listening for a while. Anyone new to the show from learning about it off of uh, Podcast Alley or iTunes, welcome to uh, to the show. This is a uh, mainly a show about Star Trek, but science fiction as well just to inform the new listeners out there about what we're uh, going to be talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to believe it's April already. I had to run around the house this morning and turn all my clocks ahead an hour, which uh, is a little depressing slightly. You know, you lose an hour on this day. But we also, at least in, this is in the United States, um, we also are going to have a lot more daylight now at the end of the day. Where I live, actually, by the time middle of summer shows up, you know, we have daylight to like almost 10 o'clock at night, 9.30, 10 o'clock. So sometimes this seems a bit much, you know, to have daylight that late. But uh, it's nice now. In a few months, it'll almost be too much. But, uh, yeah, that's the way things are. Hard to fight that. Uh, this week, we've got uh, some really good things to talk about. I'm going to try uh, a couple of little differences this week, though, compared to other shows. One when I'm doing these Star Trek episode discussions and analysis, I feel that those have, have been a little more lengthy than I'd like. I'd like to spend a little more time on other sci-fi talk and news and, and slightly cut back on the amount of time I do on these Star Trek analysis and episode discussion. We'll see how that goes this week. <laughs> Knowing me, I'll probably end up just be creating a longer show, uh, but we'll see how things turn out on that. The usual format has been email and then some other discussion topics and then the Star Trek episode, and then we'll get to a collectible. I'm going to talk about actually a couple of collectibles at the end of this show, try to at least, pretty briefly, of course, but that's uh, that's what we're looking for. A couple other little things I wanted to mention before we really get started. One is it's a new month, it's April now, and I would always, uh, like always, appreciate any votes on Podcast Alley. For, uh, for the show, you can find a link to that directly off of the podcast section off of the main website at treksf.com, or just search in Podcast Alley and, and cast your vote there. It's it's pretty quick and painless. Any comments you might want to make about the show, that would be great. Also, uh, iTunes, I'd appreciate any uh, reviews of the show up on iTunes. Uh, we have about eight or nine, I think, up there now. Any more that you can give would be great. Uh, just you know, a brief little comment about what you like about the show would be would be super. I also wanted to uh, mention I, I'm I'm constantly trying to fiddle and tweak with my uh, my settings in Audacity. Well, not so much in Audacity, but on this sound mixer board, I'm trying to tweak the audio. 
I still need a, uh, a P filter or whatever it's called or a screen, windscreen in front of this microphone so the, that puff kind of noise does not show up when I do a P sound. I'm trying to, to speak to the mic, not directly, so that that will hopefully be minimized, but I know it still slips through listening to uh, portions of the show that I have in the past. So I'm trying to uh, trying to make it uh, sound good for you guys. The main uh, main thing is just so that uh, the file size doesn't become huge when I compress this down to an MP3 and that you'll still be able to download it fairly quickly, but the quality of the audio is up up pretty good. In listening to a lot of other podcasts, myself at least, some of these guys are um, they're producing some pretty nice-sounding shows, especially at the bit rates and things that they're recording. But that's just a bunch of technical junk you guys probably don't really care about. And you're probably saying, hey, Rico, get to the sci-fi. Get to the, get to the track, man. Get to the stuff. Let's do that. Uh, the first thing, though, I'm going to talk about are I've got a few nice emails that I wanted to go over this week. So let's start with that. It's now time for some email on treks in sci-fi. Okay, this uh, this first email I was going to talk about is from uh, Ricardo Lopez. I don't think he's written before, so let's go through this. Ricardo says, um, I got this about a week or so ago. Sorry I've not written sooner, but I'm older, an older guy and have had some career changes. I've been listening to your show, and I have some opinions on the Aurora episodes. I think this is from the first one that I did. It brought back some memories from when I was a kid because I, I used to stage massive Star Wars battles with all my other elementary school chums. I was always Luke Skywalker, of course. The episode was difficult to understand because, like you said, the sound quality was not the greatest. It was painful to listen to with headphones while I was running. Uh, He says he liked the all-collectible show because he's not a collector of models, but I appreciate them. He collects autographs, but that's about it. Keep up on the excellent podcast, and remember that there are probably a lot of guys like me that listen but don't necessarily join the the treksf.com forums or email that you uh, talk about, but we appreciate the show. P.S. I would buy a t-shirt. Well, Ricardo, thank you very much for that uh, for that email. A couple of comments. Uh, like I've said before, the Aurora shows done on cassette, audio tape, uh, and re-recorded a couple times, so I have tried to clean up the audio a little bit, but I can only do so much, and I, I really, um, I, there's not a whole lot I can do. My suggestion for, if anyone really wants to listen to those um those episodes I've done released two so far is listen to them in a very quiet place somewhere out running uh, with an iPod or other uh, MP3 player is probably not going to be you're not going to be able to really listen and hear the show very well in that under that format with all the uh, background noise and sound effects and things so if you really want to tr- try to listen to it in, in a way that you could hear it a little bit better try to listen to it in a nice quiet room on some good audio uh, equipment Another couple of things I wanted to say, the the, the t-shirt issue, uh, I've run into some difficulties getting these things printed. I think I've mentioned before with the Spock type logo that I I have the artwork created for and that I want to use on the shirts. Anyway, to make a long story short, I am going to use a a local t-shirt print shop and hopefully they won't have the same issues that some of these online places do like Cafe Press and the Zazzle, which is the last one I tried. Those guys seem to have issues with the, the the copyright and trademark infringements or whatever on the Spock character. And you know, I try to explain to these guys that it's artwork that I had commissioned. I'm not really selling these shirts to make any kind of profit or anything like that. It's just to recoup my costs. And but anyway, they don't they don't care. They just have their systems. And I guess I can understand that. But I'm going to find a way to do it, guys and gals. So 
hang in there. It'll be it'll be a little while still, but I am definitely going to do it. And when I when I do get that going, I will make an announcement on the podcast, on the forums, on the website, and everything. So you'll all be aware. And uh, what I'm shooting for though is I'm probably going to get a print, uh, just get a small run of shirts made, maybe large and extra large in two sizes. Hopefully that would cover most people. I think and. If if there are exceptions to that, I will definitely try to accommodate you or in a future order. But that's the way my plan is or my my idea for right now. So um, thanks again for that uh, email, Ricardo. I appreciate uh, all the comments. And, uh, yeah, I do understand that not everyone will send me an email all the time at, at treksf at gmail.com or join the forums and so on. But that that's fine. I, I know that there are many from the downloads that I look at and the statistics on the website, there are many download people downloading the show that aren't aren't really on the forums or sending emails and that's understandable you know people are busy these days so no problem there and uh let's go on to uh, another email got a uh, another email here this guy's name is kenneth smith uh he says hi thanks for your entertaining show he loves your music and the audio drop-ins you show us the right formula he wouldn't change a thing uh you had a show on overlooked sci-fi tv shows I was wondering if you'd do a show on other Gene Roddenberry pilots for for TV, such as the Quester Tapes, Spectra, and Planet Earth. I think there were a few more, but I can't remember them. Well, thanks again for your podcast, and thanks for your time. Mr. Uh, Mick Smith, which he says on the Gmail, it says Kenneth Smith, so maybe that's his nickname or something. Anyway, Kenneth or Mick Thanks for the email. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's really a great idea, and I would I definitely will cover that sometime. I I really have a nice list now of of ideas for these sort of uh, special shows. One, one somebody wanted a Planet of the Apes show, and and this one on other Gene Roddenberry uh, television pilot uh, type shows. The Quester tapes really really good. I need to locate uh, a copy of that. Spectra, uh, which was a, a sort of a fantasy thing um, with the guy from Greatest American Hero. Robert Culp was in that. And that was interesting. I think I may have that on videotape somewhere. I'll have to look. Planet Earth, I actually have. My brother got me a copy of that, actually, on uh, on DVD. So that that's good. There was another one called Genesis 2, actually, which was done. And I believe there was even something after Planet Earth. There was sort of a trilogy of the same kind of with this character named Dylan Hunt, um, which was a really good little uh, idea. It was set in the future. Uh, the Earth had been kind of i don't know i can't remember if there was a war that supposedly happened or whatever but there were sort of like people that were sort of had higher levels of technology futuristic and then there were some primitive people living on the earth still and can't really describe it in in a short amount of time that we have but yeah that's a great idea kenneth uh, mick i will uh definitely add that to my list of shows to do i do want to do another uh, uh i've done a couple on previous tv shows and i want to do another uh Another movie one, actually, looking at some movies that I haven't done before uh, that haven't been really looked at. Another idea I had was Ray Harryhausen. I'm a bit, pretty big Ray Harryhausen fan. Uh, Clash of the Titans, uh, all the Sinbad movies with the stop-motion animation. So that's another idea I have thrown around uh, for a special topic uh, show. So thanks for your email, Kenneth. I got one other email here from... Uh, it's a real short one. It's actually from my brother, Joe. Uh, I'll just give him a little shout-out, as they say these days. Hey, Joe. He uh, he keeps commenting on this this clock that I've put on the main webpage, that it, it has this beeping noise 
what that is, uh, and he he says, turn off that clock. He hates the noise. So, uh, so Joe, I'm I'm planning on that. I'm going to redesign the the main web page sometime when I, you know, get a free spare few hours. But the the clock was a test. It's some flash animation that I slipped in on the main page, and I I have I've I had a hard time trying to edit edit out just the sound of it. So I'm probably just going to either drop it completely or replace it with another flash uh, flash program or excuse me, piece of flash animation that has a Star Trek flair to it that doesn't have that noise. So that, that'll, that's in the uh, planning stages, Joe. So hang in there. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, about it for email talk this week. I, I got a couple other ones, but I've, I think I've responded to these guys already. So without um, any further ado, I think that'll finish up the email talk, and we're going to get into a little uh, sci-fi TV movie discussion now. Rico has the best sci-fi and Star Trek information on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Okay, I'm going to go through a few news items that I've been seeing over the last week or so just to mention. Uh, the first one, Stargate SG-1, uh, when it comes back in July, there's going to be the, the 200th episode is going to be take place during uh, the next season, season 10, and they've managed to get uh, uh, whatever he is, General O'Neill, Richard Dean Anderson, our buddy MacGyver, is going to be on that episode, the, the 200th special show for Stargate 1 next year, which is great. Uh, I I wish he'd pop in once in a while. You know, it's not like coming in for a day's worth of work and just saying hi to the gang or whatever would be that hard to do, and I'm sure they'd pay him well. But uh, I think he's semi-retired from what I've heard. He wants to spend more time with his family. But I, I'm glad they've managed to pull him back for at least one episode and maybe He'll be uh, fairly involved in that particular show, so that's uh, that's good news. The next uh, the next piece of news that I I saw and I wanted to mention, uh, you know, there's this uh, Superman Returns film coming out in the end of June this year. It uh, that the talk right now, that what I've read is that they're going to release this in IMAX, which they've been doing that a lot with big movies these days. The most recent one is V for Vendetta, which is a great film, which I've talked about. Go see it. But they're going to do Superman. I guess portion a portion of this IMAX release is going to be in 3D, like 10 or 20 minutes of it. And so I'm I'm kind of curious or wondering how that's going to work. For one, you know those little funny 3D glasses. Usually they have a red blue lens, or or they're a lenticular. I think is the word you use. But anyway, you got to wear special glasses. But if it's only 10 or 20 minutes of the film, would you be wearing the glasses through the whole movie? I don't know. That just seems kind of odd to me that they would do that. I, I guess you'd be kind of stuck that way. So we'll see how this works out. I've never really been a big fan of that 3D effect when I've seen it. I've gone to a couple of films that way. And and they by the end of the movie, I don't know, I end up with a headache usually. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. I keep hearing the improvements have been made in this technology. So... We'll see. I, I do enjoy seeing movies in IMAX, though. I saw some of the Star Wars, the prequel movies that way. I saw some of the Matrix movies that way. And it's it's really amazing when you see them on that huge of a screen. I don't even know if you need to really go the extra route and throw in the 3D situation also. But that's the plan. That's what I've heard on Superman Returns for uh, IMAX and partially in 3D. So we'll see how that works out. And the last couple of comments I wanted to make on the sci-fi TV movie front. Uh, I watched last night, I, I finally watched this movie called Sound of Thunder, which is a time travel story where these guys go back in time to, like, uh, dinosaur age uh, on these big game hunts. But it's all very programmed. This is based on a uh, 
a short story written by Ray Bradbury, which was a good short story. I've read it. But this movie, uh, what happens is, of course, something goes wrong. They, they change something in the past, 65 million years ago, in the age of dinosaurs, and that starts to affect and change things when they come back to the future, which, you know, it's a great concept, a great idea. However, this film, uh, not the greatest. I mean, the effects were so-so. Uh, I think they spent too much time uh, trying to deal with what the way the present was changing and not enough in the past. It was okay. It, it, for a DVD rental, I, I, I was I had no problem watching it. If I had spent seven or eight bucks to go out to the movie theater, I would have been kind of disappointed. I think, which is what I had heard at the time. It, it, it really got ripped, and, and I, it barely was in the theater, as I believe. So anyway, Sound of Thunder, not the greatest movie. Maybe okay for a rental if you're into the whole time travel thing. There's some pretty cool dinosaurs and weird alien effects as the future has changed uh, through time. I like the way they do it, actually. They have um, these ripple effects that start to affect the future. It's not like when they come back to the future, everything has changed completely. So I'm not giving a lot away. Uh, most of this you'd see in the previews for uh, the film. But but anyway, that's it, Sound of Thunder. Uh, check it out if you'd like. And, uh, and I think that's about it for that kind of talk and sci-fi TV news. That's mainly the, the points I wanted to mention. Uh, if there's anything new that you guys uh, have heard about or talk or want to talk about, send me an email, treksf at gmail.com, or you can send an audio comment there at that, or call the voicemail, 206-88-TREX. Leave a comment about anything you've seen lately, a review, uh, and I'll play it on the show. So we're going to now move into the discussion on our Star Trek episode. For this week, it's a uh, Next Generation show. There's a lot of people I know out there that have written me and talk about on the forums that, that are big TNG fans, and, and I'm also a big fan of that. Even though I've primarily looked at uh, original series episodes, I've slipped in some TNG, a couple of Deep Space Nine. The episode we're going to look at this week is Heart of Glory. This is from the first season of TNG, and it is the it is a primarily Klingon-based episode. This is the episode where a couple of Klingons end up on the Enterprise, uh, turn out to be kind of bad guys, basically, or Klingons that are uh, out for fortune and glory, I guess you could kind of say, and, and they're, they're criminals, basically, of the criminals even in the eyes of the Klingon Empire. And it's a it's a Worf episode too. Worf gets a lot to do in this. It's it's early in the fairly early in the run of TNG and in the first season. So this was Michael Dorn as Worf's really chance to shine. And you know this is the episode where they do the little yell and all that. So without any further ado, let us play the preview for Heart of Glory, and then I'll come back and talk more about it. Here we go. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Come on, let's go! The crew rescues Klingon fugitives from a war-torn ship. Captain wants those two taken into custody. But these warriors have deadly motives. Join us. Now, a sinister plot puts Worf's loyalties to the test. He has a phaser aimed directly at the dilithium crystal chamber. Brother, we have a chance! On Star Trek The Next Generation. So there you go, Heart of Glory preview from TNG first season. Now this is a, this is a really good episode, I feel. There's a lot that you learn about Worf in this, about the Klingons, and a lot of, a lot of good stuff. The, the episode, the, the, the story, the original story and idea was 
by uh, Herbert Wright and D.C. Fontana. And, you know, D.C. Fontana was somebody that worked on a lot of uh, classic uh, TOS episodes. Re- really good writer. She's, uh, Dorothy is, is, is really, um, really done a lot for Star Trek over the years. The, um, the, the teleplay, the actual script, was written by Morris Hurley. The, what I'm reading out of uh, the Star Trek compendium here from Next Generation, he said he only uh, basically had two days to write the script from the story premise, Morris Hurley did, which, which is amazing to me, you know, to be able to knock out a script for this type of an episode with a lot of things in here that hadn't been shown or done before in, in that short amount of time. You know, the, the funny thing when I look back and, and, and read some of this stuff is that it seems actually that the stories and the episodes, I think, that are really strong and come out well are the ones that they did under those kind of pressures that, that really just worked themselves out and and kind of came out of the chute, so to speak, very quickly. And, and, and I guess the word is easily. You know, The ones they seem to spend a lot of time on, lots of rewrites, you know, have 12 authors they just end up being kind of a jumbled mess a little bit. But this kind of a show, I think, the reason it's so strong is it just it just all fell together. It works really well. So so I think that's uh, something to, uh, to keep in mind. But there's a lot of things you learn about in this episode. You learn a lot about uh, Worf's upbringing, his background uh, with human parents. And you learn about, uh, you know, how he was saved by a Federation officer, which, which I have a clip of Worf talking about that here in a few minutes. And you learn about what, you know, that there's this sort of alliance going on with the Klingons and the Federation, but there aren't, there aren't really a lot of other Klingons in Starfleet. Worf is kind of a, um, a, kind of a lone wolf or an exception. Kind of like Spock was in the original series. A Vulcan in Starfleet was, was very unusual in that era and that time. And Worf is kind of an outcast. And Gene Roddenberry, you know, again, smartly has a character here that is is that you know fills that role. He fills the role of the outcast. Uh, he doesn't fit in. He didn't fit in growing up, just like Spock didn't. And there's a lot of parallels in this episode to to Spock's upbringing and to Spock's heritage. Also, now the Klingons, of course, are not the non you know emotional and and they're not the the kind of uh, characters Vulcans are. You know, the Klingons are very emotional, very wild. However, there's some good clips, and I think I've got some of that on audio I'll play here, but you, what you find when you hear Worf talk to these other Klingons that come aboard the Enterprise is that, you know, Worf has to actually, he does have to kind of contain himself. Klingons being so warlike and so uh, emotional that he can't really let that loose. He can't run around, you know, howling at the moon on the, you know, running through the corridors of the Enterprise in the middle of the night like he might feel like doing sometimes. He needs to keep that in check. Now, he still has emotions. It comes out in lots of episodes of TNG and in the movies. He keeps them in check to some degree, not as much as Spock, of course, who, who is very logical and, and unemotional, at least on the surface. But Worf does have to keep things under control. And there, you know, if you if you know the Vulcan history, that there was a, you know, Vulcans used to be very warlike and very barbaric, and the only thing that they allowed their society to survive was to control their emotions. So, you know, there's a lot of parallels, interesting between Klingons and Vulcans, but getting probably a little bit of ahead of things in this discussion. So let's uh, play one of the clips that I grabbed here. This is when the Klingons, I believe, first come over and meet up with uh, the crew of the Enterprise. They rescue these Klingons off of uh, 
a freighter that's basically uh, about to be, um, you know, explode. They always seem to beam over on these ships and, and rescue people off of them. And just in the nick of time, they transport out and the, and the ships blow up. You know, it's like if they'd been just a second or two later in getting to the ship or whatever, you know, there'd be a lot of, a lot of away teams that didn't come back. So anyway, let's play uh, this clip for you. I'm Jean-Luc Picard, captain of this vessel. My name is Corus, captain of the Klingon Defense Force. This is Lieutenant Conmill. Would you mind telling me what has happened? We were passengers. The Telerians were taking us to outpost MZ-5. What was the vessel doing in the neutral zone? We were attacked without warning by a Ferengi cruiser. During the course of battle, we must have unknowingly entered the neutral zone. The weapons were not Ferengi. What is your name? I am Lieutenant Worf. And you are a member of this crew? Yes. You are correct. The weapons were Klingon, but the vessel was Ferengi. What precipitated the attack? I don't know. We were in our quarters. The captain of the freighter had no combat experience, so he did not anticipate the first attack, which was nearly fatal. We took control with his permission. The Ferengi called for surrender. I told the captain to agree to all their terms. We had only one chance, but I was confident that it would be enough. As adversaries, the Ferengi are not very worthy. When they lowered their shields to beam over a boarding party, we opened fire. Yeah, not uh, not very honorable uh, there of uh, the Klingons to open fire on a vessel that way. Uh, they kind of tricked them. But uh, you find out that that's not quite the real story anyway of what happened. If you recognize one of the guy's voices in that clip, I don't know if you would or not, because he's got makeup and weird teeth in, as a, you know, made up as a Klingon. The the head Klingon guy there named uh, Koros is played by... He's played by Vaughn Armstrong. That name, uh, for people who watched the Enterprise, the last Star Trek series, that uh, that actor played Admiral Forrest in in several episodes of Enterprise. So Vaughn Armstrong here played uh, one of the early Klingons that's shown on TNG. He actually played a lot of different parts in the various Star Trek series over the years, and I think he does a really good job here as as uh, Koros, as this as this Klingon. Uh, I don't know what you call him, Klingon commander or whatever he is, whatever rank he has. Uh, he's he's actually a criminal is what it is right now at this point. So you have these two Klingons. There's actually three. They bring back a, a wounded one who's in sickbay and uh, Dr. Crusher's trying to save, uh, which which doesn't go too well, and, and we'll talk about that more in a second here. You know what, Michael Dorn is Worf. Even in this early Klingon episode, he's really got the role down. He's really he's really got the whole Klingon thing down. And he sets, you know, in the, in the TOS era Klingons, you know, they were basically humans with little funny goatees and kind of made almost Asian looking. But in early TNG and in one of the, you know, in Star Trek The Motion Picture, you know, Michael Dorn as Worf and as the Klingons in these episodes, there wasn't really a lot of background for Klingons. And he had to set the tone here. And you'll notice... In this episode and in later ones, all the Klingon history, all the Klingon sort of uh, ideals of honor and glory, and and all these things, was set in the in these episodes by Michael Dorn, by the scriptwriters, and it, he does a great job with it. I really, really am impressed here. They really picked a, a a good guy for that, a good actor for that part. And you know the the other interesting point about Worf is that 
you know, at, at the beginning of TNG, there was a fairly large cast, and there always was, or, or still by the end of it. But I don't believe, from what I've heard, um, Gene Roddenberry and the other people working on TNG in the early uh, seasons, you know, they kind of threw Worf on the bridge, and they didn't really, well, at the time, they didn't know that they were going to give him that big of a role in, in the whole crew. But, you know, by the end of TNG and in Deep Space Nine, he ends up in there for several seasons. He, he becomes a, a very important character and really, really shines and, and does a great job. And he kind of, you know, he had to sort of struggle and fight for that to some degree. I'm not saying, you know, Michael Dorn or Worf or that character, you know, was, was over there, you know, trying to grab lines and knock other people out. But, you know, one of the things that did happen with Tasha Yar and Denise Crosby leaving the show and the security chief, well, then they slipped that role over to Worf, you know, head of security, and it, it fits like a glove. It's it's just perfect. And uh, unfortunately with Denise, you know, I wish they would have been able to keep her on the show, you know, maybe in another capacity or another role or, or something. But uh, but it gave time, you know, it, it was um, – it was a good thing in a way for poor, for poor, uh, not really poor, but uh, for Michael Dorn as as Worf, and and it gave him a lot more time on screen, a lot more to do, and you know there are a lot of later TNG episodes that really focus on the Klingon uh, Klingon homeworld, the Empire, and Worf's characters. So uh, so that's a good thing, and I know there are a lot of really good uh, uh, Star Trek fans out there that are really really into the Klingons. You know I've seen them at conventions, so. Uh, so that's uh, you know more Klingon episodes. I you know I think I've ever even heard people talking about hey we'd like to see a whole Star Trek series that revolved around the Klingons and you know, that's not such a bad idea or even a film that that really revolved around the Klingons. I think I think there'd be a you know a market for that. But anyway, we're getting off topic a little bit. Maybe not that much. The next uh, the next clip though that I want to play for you. This is a cliff uh, cliff cliff. Excuse me. This is a clip that. The, the Klingons that are there, Koros and the other guy, the other eight of his, Kemel or something like that, doesn't matter. These guys are talking to Worf in the corridor, and you learn a little bit about Worf's history here, so listen to this clip. I did not know there were Klingons serving on human Starfleet vessels. As far as I know, I am the only one. Tell me, what is it like for the hunter to lie down with the prey? Have they tamed you? Or have you always been docile? Does it make you gentle? Has it filled your heart with peace? Do glorious battles no longer inspire your dreams? Why do you mock me? Why do you wish to anger me? Only to see if it is still possible. It is. Yeah, I love uh, love Michael Doran there. You know, they, they say, is it still possible to anger you? And, and he just says simply, it is. You know, it's uh, it's just right. It's just perfect for Worf. And, uh, you know, I was thinking when I was listening to that clip that in later years with Worf, uh, he probably would have taken those guys if they talked to him like that and, and pulled out his, his knife or batleth and, 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 you know, cut them apart or whatever. But, you know, this is the early days. This is the mellow Worf, you know. So anyway, that's uh, and that clip was not. I think I may have said something like they were in the corridor talking or whatever. That actually, they, Worf shows them to some quarters on the Enterprise, and they're sitting down having a drink and chit chatting about you know the glory of the Klingon Empire. So uh, so that's what's what that's all about. You know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this episode. The, the outfits that the Klingons are wearing come into play. 
there there are different little accoutrements on them that actually they they end up being arrested and put in the brig later on and they pull all these little doodads off their uniform and make a make a klingon disruptor or phaser built out of them uh the 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 actors and the characters that they got to play the Klingons, Vaughn Armstrong already talked about, uh, you know, does a really good job. And uh, the thing you learn here is, and, and when I was listening to that clip again, he said something like, he didn't know there was Klingons serving on, on uh, human vessels in Starfleet. You almost kind of wonder from that clip, are there, like, Federation starships out there, you know, in Starfleet that are that are primarily Klingon crews, maybe? You never, that I can't recall that you ever really see that. But uh, interesting little talk there. You know, in the TOS era, there were starships supposedly that were primarily the Intrepid was one, primarily uh, crewed and manned by Vulcans. So, you know, even in the Star Trek time of uh, Edict and infinite diversity and infinite combinations and everyone kind of being all happy and getting along with each other, I guess for some reason they still maybe have ships of primarily, you know, one type of crew versus another. I mean, there's some practical reasons for that, and, um, you know, you wouldn't really necessarily mix them completely around. I don't know. But um, getting off again. But that's the way things go. So um, now we'll get into the next one. This is a big part of this episode, this next clip. Let's talk about it a little bit. Like I said, there were three Klingons that the Enterprise picks up, and one of them is badly injured from uh, things that happened back on the freighter vessel. In what in he's in sick bay and Doctor Crusher is not doing a very good job of bringing him back. Which uh, you know you don't even really get a feel or get an idea of what's wrong with him. He's just there on the table. She's scanning him, doing little things. But well, he eventually dies, and the Klingons and Worf show up in sick bay right as right as he dies to to check up on him, see what's going on, and then he dies. And then they yell. They do the Klingon yell, the Klingon howl. Uh, and there's a clip here I'm going to play also later that that talks about what it's all about. But basically, it's it's to uh, you know to sort of frighten the afterworld and saying, hey, you know what? There's a Klingon warrior on the way. You know, get out of the way. He's coming. And I think it's a really cool idea, and it fits their culture, their race very well. It fits their uh, their characters. But the the funny thing in the episode is that you know Picard and and the people on the Enterprise they're like, hey, what the heck are these guys doing? You know, what's going on there? Because they're not aware of it, it's it's sort of something that I guess you know humans have not ever witnessed, which is yeah, just kind of a little surprising. Just because you know Klingons and humans have have been seeing each other for years and years, they've had battles, they've had wars. You would have thought that this would have been somewhat known, uh, especially by uh, somebody like Picard who's been around a while. And but you know it's it's to try to put us in their shoes also, and then they they're allowed to explain hey what that yell is all about because the audience doesn't really realize it. So I understand why they do it. Uh, but let's play the uh, the yell. There's the Klingon uh, yell, and I think the afterworld for the Klingons was called like Stovacor, if I'm saying that right, Stovacor. So they're, uh, you know, they're warning off the afterworld, look out, there's a Klingon warrior on the way. When I talked about that other clip, though, before that one, 
I think I mentioned that they were going to talk about Worf's background in history, and it was really just a confrontation between these Klingons and Worf uh, in the quarters he puts them in. The next clip, I'm sorry, the uh, got a little ahead of myself. This next clip is a little longer, and this is when the Klingons and Worf are talking in the corridor about what um, Worf's background and, and history is. So uh, sorry about the confusion on that um, I try to label these clips pretty well so I know what I'm talking about when I'm podcasting, but, yeah, oh, hey, cut me some slack sometime. But, yeah, but that yell was pretty good. I, I like how it's sort of real guttural, you know, when they do the, uh, you know, they, they sound like animals. They really do, and uh, they did a good job. I, I've always been curious about, and I haven't really been able to find out, of how much that yell was those, those guys really doing it there and how much was maybe enhanced or changed a little bit in, in post-production. I I'll tell you, it looks like they're really doing it. You know, they start out with that little growl, and then it then it forms that big, you know, yell kind of thing, and the the way the camera works, kind of an overhead shot. Uh, they they do a great job with that. Anyway, um, let's play the next clip. This is the one with uh, Worf talking about his background and history. So listen to this, and it gives you a lot of insight into his character and why he does, and and why he where he's where he's at and where he's been coming from uh, over the years. Tell me. How is it that you come to this ship, that uniform? Through an act of kindness. The Romulans attacked the Kitamar outpost. Everyone was killed. I was buried under the rubble and left for dead. A human Starfleet officer found me. He took me to his home on Galt and told his wife to raise me as his son. How old were you? Before the age of inclusion. That young. Galt is a farming colony. When my foster brother and I were of age, we entered Starfleet Academy. He hated it and returned to Galt. I stayed. You have not spent much time among your own kind. Hardly none. So, when the night was still and quiet, and the sound of the blood rushing through your veins filled your ears... The only way to silence it was to slip out into the night. And like the hunter that spawned you, join in the struggle of life and death. You were unable. And those around you did not understand. You frightened them. They shunned you, cursed you, called you vile names, and you knew not why. Even now, do you know why you are driven? Why you cannot relent or repent or confess or abstain? How could you know? There have been no other Klingons to lead you to that knowledge. Yes, those feelings are still a part of me. Yeah, good good stuff there. Uh, you learned about Kittimer, about the battle there, about Worf being saved. The It's really, really interesting. And, you know, we've talked, I did a, uh, a podcast on uh, yesterday's Enterprise and that uh, that next generation episode, if you recall, was was basically set around that that whole Kittimer incident, where the Romulans were attacking um, the Klingon uh, place of you know the outpost of Kittimer, and the the Federation you know intervened and stopped them, and that's what was the basis and formed a lot of the the Klingon Federation alliance that uh, that occurred. You know, and if you remember, the timeline that happened was the Enterprise. Uh, what was it C yeah enterprise C was was thrown back in t- or thrown into the future 
Is that right? Yeah. Thrown into the future, excuse me. And that changed everything. But, but of course, in the real timeline, you know, the the Federation uh, helped the Klingons out, and everybody's happy, and the Klingons, uh, and just like the Organians back in TOS era had predicted in the future that the Federation and the Klingons would become fast friends, that they'd work together. And this is what turns out to be true. Of course, some Klingons like these guys, yeah, they're not too really into that idea. They 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 prefer the glory days of, you know, in, in battles and conflict with the Federation and, you know, just hopping around the galaxy stirring up trouble to some degree. So, But Worf is not like that. And, you know, through, like he says, the you know, there's this Federation guy that saves him. Everyone's wiped out in this colony except for little, little, uh, little Worf, uh, and I think that time frame was like 20 years ago. So, you know, you got to figure he was 10-ish or something like that, maybe, roughly. I think the idea has always been Klingons and humans age at roughly the same rate. So, oh, no, that's, excuse me, that's not true. Pardon that. Now, Klingons live quite a bit longer, but uh, because there are some episodes in Deep Space Nine where there are some uh, Klingons that come back from the TOS era, and they're they're pretty old. So, uh but anyway, you know, Worf is still young when he's saved, and he he feels a little bit of a debt, and uh, you know, a little bit of uh, you know, strong uh, good feelings towards the Federation, towards humans, and that that really is what makes him what he is. And he still is a Klingon, though. He's ultimately still a Klingon. At you know, his heritage, his his you know, his the way he looks, of course, and everything about him is that way. But he understands that the Federation are, you know, the people and the humans are good, and he wants to help them. And the way he does that is he joins Starfleet, and he he serves very well in Starfleet. The next clip, this is a pretty short one, the next one. This is Data just talking about, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Uh, this is Data talking about the, the Klingon Howl and what that's all about, and which I've already mentioned, but we'll let Data explain too. I believe, sir, that was the first time outsiders have witnessed the Klingon death ritual. I can understand them looking into the dying man's eyes, but the howling? It was a warning. To whom? They are warning the dead, sir. Beware. A Klingon warrior is about to arrive. So there there you have it. Uh, yep, the uh, the dead are being warned about a Klingon coming. This, um, this episode, uh, I, I'm going to wrap it up pretty much here. There's one last clip I'm going to play for you. This is uh, near the end. You know, basically what happens is another Klingon ship shows up. They say, uh, you know, you got to turn over. These guys are Klingon criminals. They're they're wanted men. And, of course, they, they break out. They One of them, the main guy played by Von Armstrong, Kor- Koros, ends up uh, in engineering, of course, with a uh, his phaser disruptor, whatever it is, pointed at the uh, dilithium matrix or whatever part of the engine that if he shoots it it'll blow it all up and so on and you wonder why they don't have like force fields around that stuff to protect it anyway <laughs> it's just uh well that's tv sometimes you gotta have you got you can't have everything perfect or else uh you know you never never have any conflict or drama if there were you know things were perfect and and secure so but the uh last clip here i'm going to play is just uh wharf and Koros. there's a confrontation and wharf uh Shows where his real true colors and duty lie, so I'll play that for you now. My brother, it is you who does not see. You look for battles in the wrong place. The true test of a warrior is not without, it is within. Here, here is where we meet the challenge. 
It is the weaknesses in here a warrior must overcome. Now, you have talked of glory and of conquest and legends we will write. Yes, the birthright of every Klingon. Yet all you say, where are the words duty, honor, loyalty, without which a warrior is nothing? What are you saying? Living among these humans has sucked the Klingon heart out of you. Put down the phaser. You are a sham. My words were dust upon the ground. Your blood has no fire. You are weak like them. I don't care what you look like. You are no Klingon. Perhaps not. That's a really, really strong, good scene there with with Michael Dorn. Uh, I can, I can really, you know, identify a little bit with that situation. You know, he he talks about the, you know, the the real struggle is not without, but it's within. And I, you know, I think a lot of people in life, and I don't want to get too, uh, you know, deep for everyone. You know, this is supposed to be a fun, entertaining podcast, but you know, I think that's true for everyone. I mean, what you what you do with yourself throughout your life and you know how you deal with other people comes from within and that that's really what makes you what you are not not what you do but what you know how you do it in a way I guess is what I'm trying to say you know it's not just uh it's how you treat other people and and that that comes from within and how you feel about yourself so and I guess I am getting kind of deep and and whatever but uh i really really do like that scene and this is a really good episode i'm glad i glad i decided to run and do this one for a podcast it's uh i i really think it's a, one of the strongest tng episodes especially in the being being it that it's uh in a first season uh show you know which people have always sort of said the first couple of years of tng is is not all that great and you know i i don't really necessarily always agree with those those words or that that talk i think there are some really good gem episodes in here and this is definitely one of them heart of glory so great uh, klingon show great michael dorn episode and uh check it out first season dvd sets uh, of tng I, I think they're going down in price slowly over time I, I don't know i think i i read something the other day i think they're going to repackage these things again and uh have them come out at a, like not you know not the hundred dollar per set price but maybe half that or so so keep an eye out on amazon and places like that in stores pick these up if you haven't got them really really good stuff and i hope uh hope you guys enjoyed looking back at that episode i'm going to take a quick little break here uh and i'll come back with uh some collectible discussion here's rico now with the latest in cool props and toys Okay, I'm back. The um, what I was trying to find for this week, uh, since it was a Klingon show, was to obviously talk about some kind of Klingon collectible type stuff. Uh, what I found, uh, something I haven't talked about before, is a uh, a Klingon knife. And I don't know if this has a particular name to it. I'm trying to recall. You know, they use those big uh, curved blades called batliths all the time, but this is not that. What I'm talking about here, and I'll have some pictures up on the podcast notes. And in my collectible uh, collectible display gallery, this is the the kind of tri-bladed uh, knife that you see a lot, or you see it mainly in the Star Trek Three movie. This is the knife that Klingon yanks out and and kills Kirk's son David with. Uh, this was made by uh, a company called United Cutlery, which they do a lot of uh, metal uh, and bladed like daggers, swords. They did a lot of Lord of the Rings swords. 
things like that. And it's I've had this for, for quite a few years. It comes actually in a box that doesn't really show anything about Star Trek on it. It kind of has a has a fist holding a knife in the, this knife in the air on the cover of the box, and they call it the Phoenix. But I don't think they had uh, the Star Trek license when they when they did these. So I think they had to sort of disguise it a little bit, even though this is obviously a a, a collectible that was patterned after the blade that was used in, in Star Trek. And it was show, it shows up in some of the Star Trek TV series, TNG, uh, Deep Space, and so on. And, of course, like I said, in Star Trek III. Now, it's made out of... Uh, you know, it's made out of steel. It's got a kind of a plastic kind of handle to it. All it looks pretty good, and the and the blades, the two sided blades, pop out. I'm kind of holding it right now, and it clicks in and out. And it's a it's a real nice little piece. It's it's not you know super sharp or anything like that. I guess maybe it is. It is slightly sharp. Oop, be careful. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, this is um, it's not very expensive. If you search on like eBay, United Cutlery, the Phoenix is is what they call it. I'll put some pictures up to show the box too. It comes with sort of a fake little uh, sheath that it sits in a leather sheath, and it's it's a nice little piece. I think it only costs around fifty dollars or so. Not bad. Uh, so that's uh, you know the, this Klingon knife. Uh, you can probably still find them out there. I think I I think actually these were in in some stores. There are some. Uh, you know, I don't know what you call them. You, stores you find like Swiss Army knives in, and those kind of shops, um, things. I don't know. In a mall, you'd see that kind of place, but I don't think you'll find these anymore in stores. This was from five, maybe ten years ago, perhaps. Let me see. I'm trying to look in the box to see if there's a date or anything like that. Uh, no, it's just called UC. The code for it is is seven twenty six. The Phoenix. Yeah, they, they've come out with a lot of different dagger-type blades. But anyway, um, take a look for that uh, on eBay if you're interested. Like I said, I'll put some pictures up. Uh, and that's the, the only Klingon item. I've done the Klingon Master Replicas Disruptor before, so that was the only other thing I was thinking about doing. But I've talked about that in another podcast. But the other collectible I wanted to talk about this week, uh, it's, it's not Star Trek, not uh, not Klingon-related, but I got the this past week I got the first uh, 12-inch Star Wars figure in the new Sideshow Collectibles line that they just produced. This is a uh, Luke Skywalker in the outfit that was seen in Return of the Jedi. And they did just a great job. These are around $50, these these figures they're putting out. They've got pre-orders up for maybe six or seven of them right now. Uh, they're doing a lot of the Jedi, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Kit Fisto, doing a lot of those characters. Uh, Anakin as seen in... Uh, Revenge of the Sith, I believe, but this is the first one that came out, and it's it's really a really well done figure. Again, this is Luke as seen in Return of the Jedi with the cloak, the way he was seen in the in the early part with uh, when he went in Jabba's palace to uh, rescue Han. The it comes with a lot of little extra little doodads. He comes with two different hands, I think. There's uh, all kinds of neat stuff. The the packaging is really great, and again, I'll have some pictures of this item up on the podcast notes and in the collectible section but they did a great job with these really really well done the nice thing i like about the way the package closes is they use magnetic magnetic catches rather than these little velcro stickers that they've used in the past that always seem to pop off because they're just stuck on little stickers with uh two velcro uh glue on things that always seem to pop off and never keep the the figure closed because i tend to keep these things in the boxes and I want something nice that displays well, so um, 
I will again put pictures of it, but they did a great job with this. They Sideshow puts out exclusive editions of these, um, and this is the exclusive Sideshow Edition one, which is a limited run. But then they also, which comes with an extra item, but the they also uh, they come out with a regular edition, which I believe is still for sale. I'll, I'll try to link that up in the podcast notes also. But if you're into Star Wars, this new line, you know, Hasbro used to do these 12 inch uh, Star Wars figures, which they were okay, and I collected a few of those. But this new line that Sideshow's starting to produce right now is really super. The the cloth outfits that the figures are in, the likenesses for the faces are really, really well done. The only thing I wish that they had done was give them real hair. I know that would be hard to do, and it might look kind of fo- fake and phony um, in this scale, but, uh, you know, they do this painted face with painted hair, and it looks okay. I think the likeness is, is pretty pretty close and pretty good. But I think the I think that might have been a little more interesting with real hair. I don't know, especially when they get to like Qui Gon with all the long, uh, you know, hair that he had in uh, in Episode uh, One. So we'll we'll see how this turns out. But those are the collectibles I want to talk about: the Klingon knife and uh, the the Luke figure from the new Sideshow line. I hope you guys uh, take a look at the photos, and if you're into these things, they can they can still be found. So so check it out. This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com. So um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. I, I really got through what I like, wanted to do and talk about. Like I said, I, I try to slip a few new, uh, more things in about sci-fi news and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, Still, you know, even after almost 40 shows, still tweaking the format. And, and I'm always, again, open to any ideas for what you guys like me to talk about, what you know, what you think about the format, uh, anything like that. Uh, you know, most people always seem to send positive comments, but I'm open for uh, you know critical uh, or uh, let's say constructive criticism rather than hey Rico, I don't like your show. That doesn't help me a whole lot. So, and I really haven't had any of those kind of comments, which is nice. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate any emails that I've gotten, and uh, it's it's really great to hear from you guys. So. And it seems like there's a lot of people out there that are uh, are still strong Star Trek fans, even though there's no series, no movie, no nothing. Oh, that was the last thing I was going to talk about. Seems like there have been some recent rumors again about Star Trek coming back in a movie or TV form, and uh, I, you know, I, who knows what's going on out there? Really, who knows about these rumors? I know there's a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of scuttlebutt. Um, in my opinion, from everything that they said last year when, when CBS got control of Star Trek, th- this is going to be it's going to be a little while. I, I predict at least two or three years before we'll see Star Trek, you know, from when the time they canceled it. Certainly not next season, perhaps the next one, which will be a two-year hiatus. Um, and who knows, they may end up with a movie before a new TV series. Personally, if I was doing it, that's the way I would go. I'd wait about three years or so. I'd come out with a movie. Maybe, if it's possible, have it tie into a new series to some degree, if you can do that, and and then start up a new series. And I still really think that the only way to do a new series is to go even more in the future. Um, I really did enjoy Enterprise. I thought that was an interesting idea to go in the past, but people seem to have issues with with the technology and things looking futuristic, even though it was supposed to be set before TOS era. So, uh, hey, let's do a 25th century Star Trek uh, series with uh, the Federation still going, really, really futuristic ideas and ships and, and lots of you know lots of cool new ideas. I mean, technology, at least, even in the 21st century now, is advancing quite a bit. And I, I think uh, 
in order to kind of stay ahead of that to some degree, I think you uh, hey jump ahead. I jump ahead maybe a hundred years or so from the time of of TNG and Deep Space Nine and all that, and and have something interesting going on. Maybe maybe the Federation is in bad shape. Maybe there's been some new aliens that have shown up that are really. And I wouldn't use the Borg. I'd, I'd come up with somebody new. And you know maybe maybe the Federation is in bad a bad situation. You know. The, People seem to like the gritty and, and not so happy sci-fi now. Battlestar Galactica is really popular. So, and I don't mean turn Star Trek into that. And I didn't really mean to get into a whole discussion about a new Star Trek series at the end of this podcast. But anyway, there's all kinds of ideas, and I know there's been some discussion threads on my uh, on the forums at the website about this, and it can go in a lot of different ways. But I, I think I do think they need to do to shake things up a little bit. I, do, I you know, I do enjoy Star Trek. I've enjoyed the series, but I do think they need to have something that's just a little bit more different than they've done in the past. And in order to grab people's attention and unfortunately ratings and and that is in is what it's all about in making the money. So they they need to be able to grab some more audience people out there rather than the, just the guys like me that go to the conventions and do Star Trek podcasts. So uh with that, I am going to finish things up this week. Hope you guys have enjoyed uh, everything that I've talked about. Uh, well, not everything, maybe, but um, oh, the last thing I was going to talk about next week's show. I'll probably again do a middle of the week show, talk about a little, few brief things, but maybe throw up another Aurora episode. Hope you guys are enjoying those. But I, I think what I'm planning on doing for next weekend's uh, regular weekend show is I am going to do another Star Wars movie. I've been waiting long enough. Can't wait any longer. It's been several podcasts since I did the Star Wars Episode Four, the the first Star Wars movie. I'm going to do next week, The Empire Strikes Back. I am going to spend most of the episode, most of the podcast next week, talking about my favorite Star Star Wars movie. I almost said Star Trek movie. My favorite uh, Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back, which should be a really really fun show to do. Uh, that movie is one of my all times favorites. You know, if I had to take all my DVDs out of my collection and I could only have three or four of them, that would be one of them. So it, it gives you an idea of how much I, I like the Empire Strikes Back uh, movie. So that will be next week's uh, Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Until then, like always, everyone have a really nice week, and enjoy yourselves. Watch some good sci-fi and read a book. I, I'm reading currently, actually, um, Clive Barker. I, I don't know if anyone knows him. I'm reading this book called Weave World, which is which is pretty bizarre. I'm about 150 pages into it or so. It's uh, It's pretty interesting like it so far so anyway uh i'm babbling now so i'm gonna go away and edit this and get it uploaded so everyone have a good week bye bye for now this has been a rick dosty production this podcast copyright 2006 all rights reserved